Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, this is A History of Europe, Key Battles. The Siege of Vienna, 1683, Part 2 of 3. In the first part, I talked about Austria, the Habsburgs and Emperor Leopold I. Now I turn to the Ottoman Empire. As the Thirty Years' War drew to a close in Central Europe, the court of the Ottoman Empire was in turmoil. A series of weak sultans in Constantinople had failed to give leadership, and the situation got even worse in the reign of Ibrahim the Mad, who it was clear to all was completely incapable of rule. A rise in the price of food and other goods caused unrest and an angry mob tore to pieces a grand vizier who had only recently been given the job. In the year 1648, shortly after the failure of one coup, another was successful, and Ibrahim was strangled to death, so that his six-year-old son, Mehmet, could be installed as the new sultan. Political turbulence continued in the first eight years of Mehmet IV's reign, which was accompanied by reverses and new threats abroad. A siege of Candia. The capital of Crete, which began in 1648, made it clear that the Turks no longer had command of the sea. After the initial Turkish landing on the island, the Venetians established a blockade of the Straits of the Dardanelles and the Aegean coast. The Venetians inflicted a heavy naval defeat on the Turks and established supremacy of the seas, although they were unable to break the siege. This triggered the Sultan's mother, who was regent, to summon a new vizier, who was named Koprulu Mehmed. He was already the 11th Grand Vizier in the so far eight-year reign of Mehmed IV, yet over time he and his descendants, the so-called Koprulu political dynasty, would provide much-needed political stability and leadership of the Ottoman regime throughout the second half of the 17th century. An Albanian of humble origin, Koprulu began as a kitchen boy in the imperial kitchen before transferring to the imperial treasury and in the offices of the palace chamberlain. By 1656 he was 70 years old with extensive experience in government, including governing different provinces. Lord Kinross, in his book Ottoman Centuries, describes him as, quote, a man of experience with a shrewd knowledge of government machine and its defects. Vigorous in action, he was a man of deeds, 
rather than words, a dictator of inflexible willpower who started his reign with a purge of key officials and the appointment of others. Bent on the elimination at any cost of disorder, corruption and incompetence, vigilant in his detection and ruthless in his punishment of all who thus endangered the security and well-being of the empire. End quote. Sultan Mehmed showed no inclination to become anything other than a figurehead, and so left all decision-making in the hands of the vizier. From this significant moment, the effective centre of government of the empire was no longer the Sultan's palace, but the palace of the Grand Vizier. The frontier of the Habsburgs received the attention of the Ottoman leadership again because of events in Transylvania. In the past decades, the princes of Transylvania had built themselves a state between three warring powers, Poland, Austria and Turkey. They never achieved complete autonomy, recognising suzerainty of the Sultan to whom they paid tribute. In return, the Turks allowed Transylvania a large degree of political autonomy and religious liberty for its mixed population. However, the Prince George II Rakozi developed ambitions towards independence and even sought the aid of some Balkan Christian princes to that end. Kopruru Mehmed was incensed when Rakozi started conducting foreign policy as if he had no obligations to the Sultan, for example invading Poland in 1655 with Sweden without first consulting the Sultan. The Grand Vizier deposed Rakozi and replaced him with the more compliant Michael Apafi. Rakozi appealed to Leopold, but the Emperor was reluctant to get involved and only belatedly sent forces to help. Korpulu Mehmed died in 1661 after five years in power and was succeeded by his 26-year-old son, Fazil Ahmed, who ruled the empire ably for another 15 years. Ahmed was well regarded, combining a dignified presence with a polite, modest demeanour. Although a strict Muslim, unlike his father, he was tolerant of other faiths. Leopold's meagre assistance to Prince Rakozi was enough of a pretext for Ahmed to renew an assault on the Habsburgs. In 1663, he declared war on Leopold and personally headed an army of invasion which started in Constantinople and headed through Belgrade into Royal Hungary, the last remaining Hungarian territory still controlled by the Habsburgs in the far north and west of the country. The Turks captured the strategic fortress of Neuhazel, today called Nove Zamku, which guarded the border into Royal Hungary. It was a significant gain, although its spirited defence meant that the Turkish invasion was delayed. That winter, Leopold called for a meeting of the Imperial Diet to appeal for military assistance. He was supported by Pope Alexander VII, who enthusiastically called for a new crusade against the Muslim invaders. German princes were reminded of their historic duty 
to rally it round the Emperor and the face of the infidel. After much discussion and negotiation, an army was put together, backed by princes across the Empire, and even with a contingent of troops from Louis Fourteenth of France. The Turks still outnumbered the Imperial forces, and while their main line of attack was against Styria, their Cossack and Tatar allies invaded the province of Wallachia and also Silesia, carrying off some 80,000 Christians as slaves. As the Turkish offensive began in the spring of 1664, the chief Habsburg commander, Monte Cucuri, tried to coordinate the various scattered forces, and only by July was able to move to intercept the enemy forces along the river Raab, where a Turkish breakthrough would open the way to both Vienna and Graz. In the meantime, the Habsburg-appointed loyal commander of Croatia, Miklas Zrini, having built a new fortress, Zrini Uvar, on the Mura River, to act as his operational base, set out to destroy the strategically important bridge at Osijek on the river Drava. Zerini then laid siege to the Turkish fortress of Kanisha. Monte Kukuli neither discouraged nor encouraged Zerini's initiative, but refused to dispatch troops to support him when the siege of Kanisha failed and the Turks destroyed the new fortress. His priority was the safeguarding of the route to Austrian territory, and there was also a suspicion of the secessionist tendencies of Zerini and his followers. The army of Montecuccoli, somewhere between 30,000 and 40,000 men strong, met the Ottomans at St. Gothard, a monastery near the point where the Ottomans crossed the river Raab. In spite of infighting among the various Christian leaders, Montecuccoli was able to convince them to attempt a united charge against the main body of the Ottoman army, which had just crossed the river. Although they were heavily outnumbered, the massed charge was enough to panic the Ottomans and send them scrambling back over the river in disarray. The heavy defeat of the Ottomans was a significant blow, not only tactically, but to their prestige. For the Christians, it was a huge moral victory, gained in part from military advances gained during the Thirty Years' War, in terms of organisation, training, equipment and tactics. But in truth, they also had good fortune on their side, as they had happened to trap the Ottoman army in a position next to the river, where they were ill-prepared and unable to manoeuvre. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. 
the subsequent peace agreed between the Habsburgs and Turks, the Peace of Vazvar, was surprisingly favourable to the Ottomans considering the result of the battle. The Turks retained several of their principal conquests, including Neuhausen, and they achieved recognition of their vassal prince in Transylvania, Michael Apathy, while the Habsburgs remained confined to the western and northern parts of Hungary. Leopold was wary of pushing harder, given that the momentary unity of the Christian allies was unlikely to last, and also the continued threat of France in the west. Miklos Zvini died in a hunting accident shortly after peace was agreed. He is probably now most famous in that part of the world for his literary works, in particular as the author of the first epic poem in Hungarian literature, about the heroic but unsuccessful defence of the town of Sigurdvar by his great-grandfather. The peace of Vesvar was regarded as a betrayal by the Hungarians who deeply resented the lost opportunity to push into Turkish Hungary. The local nobility of Royal Hungary were deeply distrustful of German influence. In particular, Protestants resented the Empire's efforts to introduce Catholicism, although local Catholics were equally keen to increase the region's independence. Together they conspired to try and find a foreign protector for Hungary. At various times between 1665 and 1670, a group known as the Malcontents made contact with the court of Louis XIV, with Poland, Venice and even the Ottomans with offers of annual tribute in return for annual protection. The conspiracy failed and most of its leaders were executed. The only practical result was providing a pretext for savage reprisals by the Habsburgs against the Hungarian nobility and the Protestant church. The imperial authorities confiscated the estates of any noblemen remotely connected with the conspiracy. And in 1673, Emperor Leopold suspended the Hungarian constitution and handed the governance of Hungary to a small directorate of six members called the Gubernium, initiating a period of arbitrary rule. Inevitably, the repression, combined with increased taxation, generated a reaction. A rebel movement came into being, made up of dismissed soldiers from the border region, fugitive serfs and refugees. They adopted with pride the name by which the nobility contemptuously referred to them, Kurich, which recalled a crusading peasant movement of the previous century. Some members of the local nobility saw in the courage an opportunity to be used against the Habsburgs both in defence of general Hungarian interests and of their own privileges. At first little more than a nuisance, they soon attracted the attention of Habsburg's enemies, the French and the Turks, both of whom provided support. In the meantime, the Turks turned their attention back to their campaign to conquer the island of Crete, which had already lasted for more than 20 years. After a series of renewed assaults, the capital city of Candia finally fell in September 1669. 
With this victory, the Ottoman Empire regained its hold on the eastern Mediterranean and showed that it was still very capable militarily. And the leadership of Fazil Ahmed, the Ottoman fleet was reinvigorated and two fortresses built to guard the entrance of the Dardanelles. In the year 1672, the Grand Vizier turned his attention to Ukraine. The influence there of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth had been greatly weakened by a Cossack uprising, which had begun in 1648 and developed into a war between the Poles and Russians. The Commonwealth had come under attack from all sides, including Sweden, before years of sporadic fighting ended in 1667 with the Treaty of Andrusova. Ukraine was left divided along the river Dnieper, with the Commonwealth in control of the right bank on the west and the Russians the left bank on the east. Preferring independence from both, the Cossack order of the right bank sought Ottoman protection. In response to Ottoman support for the Cossacks, in 1671 the Commonwealth sent forces under the command of Jan Sobieski to recover their territory. The Ottomans, in response, declared war on the Commonwealth. Their aim was to take the strategic fortress of Kamenets in the province of Padodia to strengthen their northern border. Sultan Mehmet IV, as his sobriquet of the hunter suggests, generally took much more interest in his hobby of hunting than the affairs of state or military matters. As an exception to his normal passivity, he travelled with his army on the campaign to Ukraine, but stayed well away from the battlefield. The fortress of Kamenets was poorly defended and fell after a nine-day siege. Poland had no choice but to sue for peace and accept the humiliating annexation of Podolia to the Turks, as well as payment of a yearly tribute. This triggered the Polish Parliament to vote money for a new army and send a 30,000-strong army led by Jan Sobieski to regain the initiative. On the 11th of November, 1673, Sobieski achieved a decisive victory against the Turks at Khotin, the same site as another key battle in 1621. On the previous date, the Polish throne became empty after the death of King Michael, so when Sobieski returned to the capital, with the aura of military glory just achieved, he was the overwhelming favourite to be elected. He ascended the throne as Jan III in May 1674, an energetic man of 45. He went straight back on campaign, harrying the Turks between the rivers Dniester and Bug until much of Bedouria had been cleared. Finally, in the Treaty of Zeravno, the Poles regained about one-third of the recently lost Ukrainian territories and no longer had to pay tribute. Born into Polish nobility, Jan Sobieski was educated at the Jagiellonian University in Krakow and toured Western Europe in his youth. By the 1670s, he was an experienced commander, having fought for Poland in several conflicts, including the Cossack uprisings, the Russo-Polish War and the Swedish invasion known as the Deluge. He was described by a contemporary as, quote, 
a tall and corpulent prince, large-faced and full eyes, and goes always in the same dress as his subjects, with his hair cut around his ears like a monk, and wears a fur cap. Extraordinary, rich, with diamonds and jewels. End quote. Sobieski's style was oriental. His fascination with the East, a result of growing up in the southeastern provinces near the Ottoman borders. He was born in a thunderstorm during a Tatar raid. His maternal grandfather, Hetman Zorkivsky, and his brother were both beheaded on the battlefield by Tatars, and an uncle died in Tatar captivity. Sobieski also had close connections with the French court and was married to the daughter of a captain in the French guard, Count Marie Casimir d'Arquien. They enjoyed an intense relationship, had several children and conducted lengthy correspondence when apart. So in many ways, a French alliance was the natural step for him to take. It would mean that Poland would be tied to the anti-Habsburg combination of France, Sweden and Turkey. The French were keen to use Poland as an eastern ally, and the two sides concluded a treaty in July 1675, whereby Sobieski would receive significant funds in return for mounting an expedition to conquer Prussia. But after a French-Prussian treaty in 1678, Sobieski started to distance himself from the pro-French faction and moved towards an alliance with Vienna. This fitted better with his inclination for crusade against the Turks and Tatars, who were his most natural foes. Next week I will conclude this set of episodes with a third and final part, with the actual Siege of Vienna, 1683. It's always great to hear feedback, so you can write to me directly, Carl, that's with a C, at historyeurope.net, or on the Facebook group of the History of Europe Gear Battles podcast and naturally I'm always appreciative of good feedback on iTunes or any podcast reviewer. The music today was from a court composer of Leopold I named Johann Joseph Fuchs. You listened earlier to the symphony in F major and I leave you today with the partita in G minor.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.